Yes, let's open our Bibles together to John chapter 15. I'm going to read the words of the fairest Lord Jesus, who is fairest even today. We'll look at verses 18 through 16, 4a. Listen as I read. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sin. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they've done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without cause. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And you will testify also, because you've been with me from the beginning. These things I've spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. These things they will do because they've not known the Father or me. These things I've spoken to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. So read the words of the living God. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we have just sung of your glory and your beauty and your greatness, and oh, how we long to see your face. Indeed, we can sing with great joy, hallelujah, what a Savior. But until that day that we see you face to face, there is trial, there is trouble, there is hardship, there is persecution. Lord, use your word today to strengthen our resolve to be faithful to you to the end, that we might indeed see you face to face. We ask this in Jesus' name, for his sake, amen. So when I was a young boy growing up in my 
family, there were certain words that you did not say. If you were in the Sunday seminar this morning, we talked about bad words. There were some words that, uh, for my mother, you, you did not say them. And in fact, to this day, I don't feel comfortable saying them, uh, even though my mother is no longer here. She's watching, and I can hear her voice in the back of my head. You don't, you don't say these words. And there, there was one time when, uh, when I was a young boy, uh, the older neighbor kid uh, decided that he was going to introduce me to the ways of the world. And he had a, a fort back in the woods, and he had some magazines there that he was trying to expose me to. And, and he started talking about this with my dad in earshot. Not a smart move. And my dad, of course, heard what he was planning to do, and, uh, and he decided to get involved. Needless to say, I, I never got a chance to see those magazines, and I'm very thankful for that. But I was young enough at the time to not really understand what that was all about. But in the course of the discussion, this older boy said one of those words. It's a four-letter word that starts with a C, and it's potty mouth language. He said that word, and I thought my mom was going to wring his neck, and that's what sticks out to me about that conversation. I can't believe he said that word. Now, I have failed as a father because my kids say that word all the time in my household, and some of your kids do, and some of you do, and I even say it now and then, but you just don't say those words in my house. Well, in my house you do, in my mom's house you didn't. And there are other words that you didn't say. You didn't say the S word, not the potty mouth one. You didn't say that either. But stupid, right? And we've taught our kids, you don't say that word. In fact, I can remember the first time sitting right here, my kids heard me from the pulpit say stupid. They went, oh, you're not allowed to say that word. I'm allowed to say that word. You're not allowed to say that word. That's how parenting works. But one of the words that we were absolutely forbidden to say, especially with regard to another person, was the word hate. And I can say to this day, I believe this is true, I believe it's true that never in my 49 years plus have I ever said to or about another human being, I hate you. Because you don't say those words. That's a strong word, right? Some of you parents use that kind of language. These are strong. Hate is a strong word. I mean, I hate cats. That's a given. <laughs> All the saints hate cats. Or at least they will when they're fully sanctified and glorified. But to say about another human being, I hate you. It doesn't get any stronger. In our language, that means I have a complete and utter rejection of you. That's what the word hate means. We just don't use those words very often. We shouldn't. You should never use that term carelessly. 
Jesus here says some very hard things and he uses strong words. He tells his disciples, the world hates you. And the world hates me. Strong words. This comes out of nowhere in this section of John. Think about where we've been. Remember, this is the upper room discourse. This is, Jesus is going to die within 24 hours, and he knows it's coming. And he pulls his closest friends, his, his disciples together, and, and he gives them the final instruction before he's going to die. And, and he dropped a bomb on them, remember? He dropped the bomb that, I'm going away. And where I'm going, you can't come with me. But it's okay. I'm going to a place to prepare it for you. And someday I will come get you and bring you to that place with me. There's hope. And he says, I'm leaving with you my peace. Remember, we talked about the inheritance, the bequeathing of the peace of Christ. This is part of our inheritance as his children. Peace. And last week he talked about joy that he's going to leave with us and give us. There's, there's hope. And they didn't get it. They were, they were, their, their hard drive was fried because he said, I'm leaving. But, but all these things they could go back and reflect on, and the Holy Spirit would bring it back to mind. So there's a lot of hope here. But this, uh, this statement is kind of out of nowhere, and it changes the entire tone of the conversation. Now, I want to go back and, and uh, look at a few of the verses from last week. It, didn't Jordan do a great job last week? I mean, did you all, all week, think about throwing the vine down, the dead vine, and going, that's ridiculous. And I thought about it. You're going to remember that for the rest of your life, aren't you? It's ridiculous to think that you can do anything apart from Christ. You can't. You're like the branch just thrown on the ground there. Back up to verse 12 of chapter 15. Jesus says this, this is my commandment, that you love one another. He's already said that. He's saying it again. He repeats it over and over again for emphasis. This is what I want. Love one another, just as I have loved you. Now, this continues on with what he's been saying. Uh, he, he, he says, I'm leaving you, but there is a responsibility that I'm placing on your shoulders as my, as my disciples. You have something to do. You must obey me. You say you love me? Great. Prove it through your obedience. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you have my word and keep my commandments, you will show your love and my Father will love you and I will love you and I will come and disclose myself to you, but you've got to keep my word. You've got to keep my commandments. And then he comes back to that, love me by loving one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friend. As I was reflecting on that the last couple of weeks, I thought, how many friends do I have who would truly lay down their life for me? How many friends do you have? Maybe this is the better question. How many people could look at you and say, he's my friend, she's my friend, he would give his life for me. 
Is that the kind of friend we are? Jesus says that's the greatest possible expression of love. You can say you love people. Those words come very easy. We say it all the time. But when it comes to it, would you give your life for that person? Love is not about talk, it's about walk. And then Jesus says, verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. You see where he's going with this. I love you, you are my friends, I'm going to give my life for you, literally give my life for you on the cross. If we are his friends, then he calls us to give our lives for him. We can say we love Jesus. We can say what a friend we have in Jesus. But he says, if you, if you are, then you'll show it by giving your life for me. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what the master is doing. Yes, we're still his slaves. Yes, the disciples were still his servants. But, but he brought him in closer than that. You're my friends. I've revealed to you the whole message. I've called you friends for all things I've heard from my Father. I have made them known to you. Friends have an inside track. Friends get the full story. Friends get uh, the disclosure of all the, the secrets, the private things. He says, I'm letting you in. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. That's what he calls us to. And that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. This I command you, that you love one another. Love, 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 love. That's the constant command of Jesus to his disciples. Love one another. And then he says, the world hates you. And the world hates me. Strong words. Why? doesn't make any sense. I mean, if we're going around loving everybody, why would that provoke hatred? Well, obviously, you know that Jesus does not mean the same thing by love that our culture means. Jesus does not mean be nice to everybody. Jesus does not mean tolerate Everybody's thoughts and words and actions. That's not love. That is certainly not the kind of love that Jesus came to demonstrate. Jesus loved his disciples and he loved them by showing them how to please the Father. And he loved them by telling them how to please the Father. Jesus was not interested in being nice. He was not politically correct. He didn't play by the cultural games. He couldn't care less what the government officials thought of his terminology. He wasn't afraid of offending anybody. He came to speak truth, which is what everybody needs to hear. How can I please the Father? How can I be right with the Father? That's all that matters ultimately. And Jesus came and he taught that and he demonstrated that. That's true love and the world hated him. He came to talk about eternal life. Not just talk about it. 
He came to open the doorway to eternal life. Imagine somebody walking in and saying, here, I will show you the door to eternal life in heaven. That's how much I love you. I am willing to lead you there. Imagine somebody coming and saying that and doing that, and you turning around saying, I hate you. How did he get here? Because what Jesus did more than anything else to the Jewish people was he exposed their sin. His whole life and ministry and preaching and teaching, all of it exposed the sins of those he was around. And the world hates that. John has been unpacking one, two verses through this whole book so far. Uh, Steve, I didn't give you this to you before, but I'm going I'm to call an audible here. Would you put up John 3, 19 and 20? We'll start with 19, since it comes first. John said this sentence way back near the beginning of this of this gospel. I mean, you could turn there if you want. I just want everybody to see it at the same time. This is what John says. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And of course, now we know that's Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. The light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light. One of the things that's scary about that statement is he's talking about Jewish men here. These are the people of God. They had the law. They had the Old Testament. These are the people of God. And when the light of the world, when the light of God showed up, God's people, the Jews, hated the light and loved the darkness. Why? For their deeds were evil and they didn't want to give up their evil deeds. Next verse. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. When Jesus showed up, he didn't pull any punches. He lived righteous. He called out unrighteousness. And everyone who is evil was exposed by the light. And either they came into the light and said, yes, I admit I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Thank you for your mercy and grace. Or they said, we have to snuff out the light because it exposes our darkness. And Jesus here is saying to his disciples, if you follow me, if you obey me, if you do what I say, if you love one another the way I tell you to love one another, those who live in darkness are going to hate you. One of the silliest things that has arisen in our culture is the idea of a hate crime. As though there's a love crime or a like crime, or a mild indifference crime, 
No, all crimes are hate crimes, right? You don't care about anybody else. That's why you do the crime. But it's this category that has been created by an agenda so that they can control certain speech and actions. And at the end of the day, it's Christian speech and actions that they're so opposed to. The, the attack of our culture is almost entirely wrapped up in sexuality right now for the last 30 or 40 years or so, maybe since the, the 60s. The big ones, the big hate issues of American culture is all wrapped up in sexual things. We have an enemy who is out to destroy everything God has said about sexuality. So marriage has to be completely undone. Male and female has to be completely undone. Which talk about ludicrous, talk about ridiculous. If I had a good way to illustrate this, I'd do it. That's ridiculous. There are only two options, folks. Only two options. I think 150 years from now, people are going to look back at our generation and go, what a bunch of idiots. How many, how many genders? What were those people thinking? But it all has to be undone. And the fruit of two people coming together has to be undone in the name of re reproductive rights. They're driving at this. They hate Christ and his righteousness. Now, this is hard for us because you don't think about your next-door neighbor, the unbelieving next-door neighbor, you don't go around thinking, he hates me. I mean, maybe some of you do, but, you know, generally speaking, that's not how we live our life, right? We can go home, any of us can go home here uh, today, we can hang out in the, in the front yard and talk with our neighbor and talk about how miserable the Broncos are this year, right? That, you know, there's a bond there. Yeah, they really, really stink. They're, they're a bad football team. Or you can be an Eagles fan and think about how every year they're so bad. You get an amen, Jordan? No? All right. Right, we can bond over that and, and, and have a, a great time until your neighbor's son comes out gay and they go searching a little bit about you and your church and they find out, well, you go to a church that had Christopher U on here last summer? That guy said homosexuality is a sin. And now suddenly, they want nothing to do with you, or worse. You realize we're all just one Facebook post away from broken windows, egged houses, or worse. Because the world hates Christ. This is hard. I almost made Jordan preach this one too. I, I, this is... This is a very unpleasant concept, and I think it's hard for us to believe it. I mean, of course we believe it. It's in the Bible, but to, to, to let it get from our head to a heart, to realize that unbelievers are not neutral toward us. They're not. Jesus said it. The world hates me, and therefore they will hate you. 
If you were of the world, the world would love you because you would be part of them. But as soon as you became a Christian, he says, I chose you out of the world and I brought you to myself. And now that you're on my side, the world that used to love you, now they hate you. You're not greater than your master. I'm your master, he says. You're my slave. And if they treated me this way, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. It's going to get so bad for these disciples that when the Jews persecuted them, they were sure they were offering a sacrifice to God. How evil is that? in the name of God, to kill the Messiah and his people. That's evil. They hate Christ. So what do we do? Well, if we're going to follow Jesus, we shine the light and we speak the truth no matter the cost. Last night we were having dinner uh, with Ben and Nicole Fisk and several other families, some from Frack East and some from Frack, Frack West. It was, it was a wonderful time. And part of the discussion was, who are you preaching the gospel to? And it was great. It was wonderful as we were around the table. Almost everybody had somebody they were actively seeking a relationship with to preach the gospel to. And story after story after story, yeah, I've got this friend, I've got this family member, and, you know, we've talked this, talked that. Well, well, Dari, some of you know who Dari is. Uh, if you've ever met Dari, you will remember forever who Dari is. He, he's at our East Campus. And, and Dari plays games uh, once a month with a group of men. And there's this, uh, this young man named Andrew. I don't, know if, I don't know if he's young or not. But a man named Andrew that uh, he started uh, gaming with. And he said, uh, and this guy is a, 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 uh, an agnostic. By his own testimony, he's too smart to be an atheist. But he's an agnostic. He, he's undecided about God. And so Dari just took a chance here and said, to tell you what, if you'll go to Panda Express with me every night that we play games, if, you, if you'll go with me, uh, go there for dinner, um, I'll buy your dinner and you have to let me talk for 15 minutes about Jesus. The guy said, yeah, done, right? I mean, he's, he's a smart dude, yeah? <laughs> so every month, they go to Panda Express, Dari buys him dinner, and he gets to talk to this man without interruption for 15 minutes about Jesus. They've been doing this five years. They've been through the entire book of Romans in 15-minute increments. And he said, this guy, Andrew, could probably exegete for you almost the entire book of Romans. That's really cool. Really cool. And, and Dari got, he, he got emotional as they started, started crying as we, as we were talking about it. And we, we went around and prayed for all the people that we're preaching the gospel to. And he's like, I just, he knows the truth. I want him to come to faith. Beautiful. It's wonderful. And we all went around and had these, had these people in our hearts and our minds. What happens if none of them come to faith? Have we wasted our time? Are they going to always appreciate us for preaching the gospel? Thanks anyway? No. So often the case is going to be 
that you will eventually hit on something where they no longer value your friendship and, and your concern for them, but now you're meddling. Now you're in their kitchen. Now you're stepping on their toes that they don't want to be stepped on, and they will turn. If and when that happens, we have still been faithful to Jesus. And what we've done is the same thing that Jesus did. We have now removed their excuse before the Lord. That's what Jesus says. Verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. Now, that doesn't mean they had no sin at all. What he's saying is, now they have no excuse about who I am. They would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they've both seen and hated me. And they fulfilled the scripture, they hated me without cause. Jesus shows up to the Jewish people. And he does miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle, showing and proving he is sent by the Father. No one else could do these things. No one else can heal the blind man. No one else can heal the lame man. No one else can turn water into wine. No one else can walk across the top of the water. No one else can raise a man from the dead at will. And the Jews said, crucify him. It's along the lines of when Jesus says in other Gospels, if the miracles had been done among you, Jews, um, if the, the miracles that have been done among you, Israel, had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. Think about that. I mean, Sodom is held up as the, the hallmark of wickedness. It became the, the key word throughout the Old Testament of, of great debauchery and evil. And Jesus says, Sodom will be punished less than you will be on the day of judgment. He said that to the Jews. If Tyre and Sidon had seen what you've seen, they would have repented long ago. Jesus says, you have no excuse. We do have an obligation, beloved, to make sure the world we live in has no excuse. We have to live faithfully to Jesus. We have to love people enough to point out sin and take the risk that they will reject us. We don't have to be a jerk about it. In fact, we shouldn't. We want people upset at Jesus and the gospel, not at you and me. We should be kind. We should truly love them, but we have to speak truth and call out a nation that is completely perverting God's design for marriage and sexuality and life. That's us. That's our calling if we're going to be faithful to Jesus. And you know what? When we do that, they're not going to sit around quietly and accept it. The heat will get turned up. They'll call, charge us with hate crimes. You're haters. Is there anything worse in our day than being, calling, being called a hater? Hater. You're a hater. You believe it's not okay for me to do this? You're a hater. No, actually, I'm a lover. I love you enough to tell you the truth. I'm trying to save your soul from the one who does have the power 
to condemn you. Paul says something very strange in 2 Corinthians. Let me just read this for you. I won't make uh, Steve try to find it. Here's what he says to the Corinthians. He says, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. That sounds great. Paul says, wherever we go, the knowledge of God comes out in our preaching and teaching, and the whole place, everywhere we go, is filled with the knowledge of him. The aroma of the place when we leave is, is God's aroma. That sounds really good and positive. But then he says this, for we, he's talking about him and the other apostles, we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. That's pretty hard. The the, the value, the benefit, the, the, the outcome of preaching the gospel, which always must include sin, you haven't gotten to the gospel if you don't mention sin, the, the, the benefit, the, the, the glory to God for us preaching the gospel has two outcomes. One of them is people being saved, and we rejoice and thank God for that. But the other is also a pleasing aroma to God. When we have removed their excuse for not repenting. And God is glorified in both. Our hearts are tugged in one direction. We want to see everybody come to faith. That was the heart around the table last night. We prayed earnestly and all of us were, were, uh, were, were burdened for these men and women we were talking about. We want to see them come to faith. But God is equally glorified in both camps. And when we preach truth to unbelievers and they don't come... It is a pleasing aroma to God because of his holiness and his justice. Paul says, to the one group, we are an aroma from death to death, and the other from life to life. Both camps. And Jesus says, if you teach truth, preach truth, live truth before the world, they will hate you and persecute you. Which begs the question, does anybody hate you? Is there anybody uncomfortable around you for the cause of Christ? It's coming, folks. If you've not dealt with this in your near family, I promise you, you will. The gay agenda will come to your family. It will. Somebody close to you is going to come out gay, lesbian, transgender, something. 
and you're going to be tested. And if nobody is uncomfortable with the way you handle it, you need to ask yourself the question, why is that? Because the world hates it. The world hates sexual righteousness and purity. And the culture is becoming increasingly intolerant to righteousness. Jesus says, I'm telling you these things ahead of time so that you won't stumble. There are two possible meanings of that word stumble. One might be you get a little tripped up, but then you get back up and you keep going. But most of the time when Jesus uses this word, he means full apostasy. Remember when he said, if your eye causes you to stumble, take it out, pluck it out, because it's better for you to enter into heaven with one eye than two working eyes going into hell? That stumbling there is not a mere tripping up. That is eternally stumbling. And I think that's what he means here. He says to these men, they're going to put you on trial for holding fast to my teaching and I'm telling you this before it happens so that you will stand firm and not fall away in that moment of testing. He said another place, scary words. He said, don't be afraid of the one who can kill your body and then can do nothing. Be afraid of the one who can kill your body and then kill your soul in hell. In another place he said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my father. But if you deny me before men... I will deny you before my father. When push comes to shove and the world says, renounce Christ and his righteousness or else suffer the consequences of an angry mob, Jesus says, my disciples will stand firm and suffer the consequences of an angry mob. Or, will make peace with the world and stand before an angry God. Those are the options. And it's coming. It's coming. Christ has forewarned us. It's coming. But not only has Jesus forewarned us, he's forearmed us. As we head to the, the final words here that I hope will be comforting, I, I'm going to just let you in on something that's going to happen in a moment. Uh, I'm tinkering with one of your favorite hymns today. I know, I've tinkered with several of them today. But this one's really going to provoke you. Uh, I tinkered with Great is Thy Faithfulness. So just be forewarned. God is faithful. And his faithfulness is great. Not only does he provide for all of our temporal needs and takes care of us, but he has given us a helper, he says. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me, 
and you will testify also because you've been with me from the beginning. Obviously, the first application of this is for those disciples. They were with him from the beginning, and now they can testify to all they've seen and heard. But by extension, we are still called to go out into this world that hates us because that hates Jesus. We are called to proclaim truth, proclaim the gospel, call sinners to repentance, and they're going to hate us for it. But God says, I have sent my helper to you. We live on the other side of Pentecost. They were looking forward to it. We look backward to it. Every Christian in this room has the Spirit of God indwelling us. So that when they come and they say, tell us it's okay to kill our babies. Tell us it's okay to be homosexual. And we say, not before God is not. We have the Spirit of God who will reveal truth to our hearts and give us the courage to stand firm. That's how the disciples went on to do it. You know that of the 11 disciples that are still here in this room, 10 of them died at the hands of the mob. As far as we know, John, the one who wrote this book, is the only disciple that was not killed for his faith. The rest of these men faced a world that hated them. And they were executed because they stood their ground for Christ. How did they do that? The Spirit of God gave them strength, gave them power. And the good news is, Jesus said, if they persecuted you, they'll uh, persecute me, they'll persecute you. But he also says, if they obey my word, they'll obey your word. There are always going to be some that when we call them to repentance, they will repent and come to faith in Jesus Christ. There were no doubt some around that table last night who will see the people they're preaching the gospel to repent of their sin and join us in worshiping Jesus. And that's our prayer and that's our hope. But beloved, we will not convert anybody if we're afraid of the world. James said it, to become a friend of the world is to become the enemy of God. And if we're a friend of God, the world will be our enemy. We must not be too comfortable in this life. It's a bad sign when we, when we don't have anybody pushing against us. The Spirit of God will enable us to stand in that day. He is faithful. He is faithful. As you're giving thanks this Thursday, and hopefully between now and then, of course, give thanks for all his temporal blessings. But give thanks for the gospel and ask him to be faithful to you when the world hates you. Let's pray. Father, you know, I, uh, I didn't want to preach this. It's not our favorite topic. But I wonder if sometimes it's not our favorite topic because we have gotten too friendly with the world. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that this, this would not be 
used of the enemy to crush anyone here. And we know that you won't crush any of us. That's not your goal. But where any of us need a little kick in the backside to stand up, where we've been too concerned with acceptance in the world, where we need to be bolder in proclaiming the truth, Father, would you use your word to do that and and your spirit who is given to us. May we walk in his power and his truth. And Lord, in every aspect of life, great and small, we give you thanks and we proclaim together, you are faithful to the end. Amen.